Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so proud to bring you your team every day. And considering it is a big game and the specific timing of everything like this, I really wanted to do a preview for Warriors Thunder, big Thursday national TV game with basketball implications, non-outside of basketball implications, just with everything that's gone on. And the perfect guy to talk to is Fred Katz. He writes for the Norman Transcript, and he's also the host of Locked on Thunder. And so we talk about a lot of the logistics. And also it was fun because the Thunder played a game on Wednesday night against the Clippers. So we talked a little bit about that and how it fits in with, with everything else. And Fred and I sometimes ramble a little bit, so it gets into some other stuff. But yeah, I think it's a fun conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. It runs about 50 minutes, and I, I think it's a good way of kind of getting you in the mood for what's going to happen tonight, even though we focus more on the basketball side than the personal side, because really almost everything on that side has already been said and been said really well. If you want to get in the mood by reading Lee Jenkins' excellent piece on Westbrook or many of the really good pieces that have been done on Kevin Durant, you absolutely can and should do that. And this is hopefully a supplement to all that. And then there will be, of course, a Locked On Warriors after the game as well. You ready for Thursday night? I am. I mean, I think that this has been a weird circumstance because I am generally not somebody who in the basketball world is as focused on the emotion part of it, though I don't discount it. I'm not one of those kind of like, let's say, robots that just takes it out of the equation. I focus more on the court. And this game is intriguing in both ways, but the personal dynamics are just at the center of this whole thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it is. Look, we're recording this late Wednesday night. Defender just had had an ugly but but definitely big win over the Clippers. About as big of an early season win as you're going to get, I think, if only for narrative's sake. Like the fact that the Thunder are undefeated going into the Warriors game, for narrative's sake. And this is not fake narrative. Like this is a real thing. Um, going, going into that Warriors game, being able to play it up as the undefeated Thunder going up against Kevin Durant's Warriors. Sometimes I think sports are allowed to be about the fans. And I I get that this can be... This can be about the fans. It can be about the hype, you know? Yeah, and it's a little bit weird just because those guys won't guard each other at all. Like, I always think that I remember back to the Shaq. I don't think that's true, though. Like, they're not, he's not going to be, Durant's not going to be Russ's primary assignment, but there are going to be possessions where Durant switches onto Russ. Sure. Yeah, there'll be be possessions where it happens. Um, It it probably won't happen as much the other way unless the Warriors start running substantially more Curry-Durant actions than they have so far, which they might. It'd be fun if tomorrow's the time when they... they, I mean, they do it sometimes, but they don't do it a lot. But yeah, they are interacting more. It's not like... The the analogy I had made before was I always thought that the Shaq-Kobe games were overhyped in that way because they really didn't spend time on each other. But you're right that when it's two perimeter guys, at least through switching and just kind of the general actions of a play, it can happen. Yeah, and 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 Kevin, Kevin, at some point is going to guard Russ, and um, it's I I don't know what's going to happen on that game on that possession, but like there's going to be a chill throughout the arena. 
Yeah, and it's it's also different, and I would say frustrating. I always like it when the first of these games occurs at the you know let's call it the aggrieved stadium because I, agree. I, I feel like that gets the it gets kind of all the emotionality out of it at the same time, and this way it, it kind of dissipates. This was the same issue that bothered me with DeAndre and the Ma- and the Mavericks last year. They did the first game in LA, and it's like, well, where's the story there? You know, like you you don't have that kind of a thing. It's maybe I'm sure they're saving it for later in the year, but really I think those matchups lose some element of the personal drama by doing it in that order. And, and when they have the ability to change the schedule, I would encourage the NBA to. Now you can tuck that DeAndre Mavs jersey along with your Ersan Elisa with Thunder jersey. Well, except that Ersan actually played for the Thunder, so I mean, it's, it's more it's, it's more like a Rasheed Wallace Atlanta Hawks jersey. What's what's the best hipster jersey? Give me give me out of these three. You can have out of these four. I'll even say I'm going to give you Ersan Elisa with Thunder, Rasheed Wallace Hawks, Tony Roten Knicks, or we're going to go out of sport. Mike Piazza Marlins. Sheed, Sheed Hawks, and I know somebody who has one. Um, Adam, someone who has a Sheed Hawks jersey. Adam awesome. Risinger, who I think you know. Uh, yeah, has, I know Adam. He has one. He has a Sheed Hawks jersey? Yeah, he does. He has That's it framed, amazing. I believe. You should ask him for That's... a picture. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I also own a Kevin Durant Sonics jersey. So that's it's a little bit different, but the, those also exist. That trolls multiple fan bases. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, actually, was, um, I don't know. I don't know if you know Ed Mazinet, a friend of mine, writes for Yard Barker and and Sports Fan Journal, and he uh, he grew up in Oklahoma, and so we we actually use that as kind of a bonding thing when I went and visited him the last time because he associates me with some of the Durant stuff, and um, but but you know I I think that why it's going to be nice to have this game is just that. There's a lot of puff about this, just in terms of the emotionality, and just to have that part of it out of the way a little bit is going to be nice. Like I, I think that it's going to be fun to focus on the basketball part of this and just, just kind of let the rest of it go and focus on the other random drama with the Warriors. Yes, and and the other random drama with the Thunder because there is drama with the Thunder. Like they're like from a purely basketball perspective, it maybe. Maybe this is like one of my biases being a beat writer. I'm just around the team so much and I have to force myself into discovering interesting storylines because there are just so many days in a season. There's so many days that I have to write and maybe I just convince myself that things are interesting. But I think they're, this is one of the most interesting teams in the league just from a purely basketball perspective, from the way that they're trying to come together defensively, from a lot of new guys in the rotation, from what the heck Russell Westbrook is going to do this year. I think there are a lot of really interesting purely basketball storylines on this team. Certainly. And one parallel between these two franchises that is that there's an underrated amount of turnover. Like you think about it because some of the definitive pieces are the same. So for, for OKC, that's Russ and Steven Adams and Ennis Kanter. And all those guys are pretty much playing the same roles they were last year, at least, at least largely in terms of, you know, minutes and that kind of stuff. And Andre as well. Yeah, and Andre as well. And then for the Warriors, Curry, Clay, Draymond, Andre Guadala, you know, those guys are. But what I think has been a big takeaway for the Warriors so far is that not just Durant, but the overall turnover in everything else, guys like Zaza Pachulia, David West, even Ian Clark is playing a different role because he's basically replacing Barbosa. That's having a major impact in terms of the way that they're kind of not syncing up exactly, though the Portland game really did kind of turn that around a little bit because they had this ridiculous third quarter and blew out a very talented Portland team. So let's talk about this Warriors team a little bit. Let's talk about some basketball because I think, honestly, I think people have have heard so so many reflections on Kevin Durant versus Russell Westbrook, the people, that 
I don't know if Thunder fans know that much about this actual Warriors team. Uh, I, I think every time the Warriors come up, it, it it turns into kind of a like you talked about an emotional conversation, not really a basketball one. So let's talk about them purely as a basketball entity. So what what have they struggled with so far early? The biggest thing early on has been defense, and there are a couple of of things that you can attribute that to. One is just some of the roles are different. You know, Kevin Durant is a very different player than Harrison Barnes, and they they have different strengths and weaknesses. But the biggest part is that last year the Warriors at center, when it wasn't Draymond Green, it was Andrew Bogut and Festus Zeely, who are both rock solid defenders and shaky offensively. This year they're playing. Zaza Pachulia and David West, when both of those guys, you know, they've looked okay offensively. They both had hit or miss games, but defensively, they both look early on, and this can change, as you know, they look a, a step slow. And that's a problem because that center position went from being a defensive strength to being a defensive weakness. And they didn't have a corresponding shift anywhere else on the floor. Yeah, that, that's a thing that people, I mean, people have talked about how they're going to struggle with rebounding. I always thought that Bogut was honestly underappreciated there because people talked about how they always, they're always so small and, and size is, is not important to them. And it's like, no, Andrew Bogut, he may not close out every single game, but Andrew Bogut was tremendously uh, integral to, to that team's success over the last two years. I don't think there's any other way to talk about that. He was one of the five best defensive centers in the league the last couple of years. And, you know, you, if you're doing that in 20 minutes a game, it is very different than doing it in 30 or 35. I mean, I'm not going to discount that, especially because you don't have to think about fouls in the same way. And that is something you see sometimes with defensively capable bigs as they expand their minutes is that they sometimes get into foul trouble. But he does a great job of cleaning up mistakes. And right now, that's something that the Warriors are having trouble with. They're actually getting better weak side shot blocking from guys like Draymond and Kevin Durant than from their guys. And the biggest part, and this is going to be a significant storyline in Thursday's game, is the pick and roll coverages. Because the other part is that, and you understand this in the regular season, so far they've put Stephen Curry on the other team's talented point guards. You know, the Warriors have already played Damian Lillard. They've already played Eric Bledsoe. If you want to count aging Tony Parker there, we can. And he has struggled in that capacity. It could be that he's not all the way back from his injury. It could be just that, you know, he's those are matchups that are hard for him. Damian Lillard is a guy that almost everybody struggles with. So what that leads to is this kind of exacerbated problem where Curry isn't the greatest pick and roll guy right now. And if it's a 1-5, Pachulia and West aren't the greatest pick and roll guys. So it's just creating a lot of seams and that, however, it should be noted that, and this was really crystallized in the game against Portland, when the Warriors went to the small lineup, the death lineup, whatever you want to call it, to anything with Draymond at center, they've done well the whole year. So they're at, they're allowing less than a point per possession when Draymond is on the floor and Zaza Pachulia is not. So that gives you an idea of what they can do, but that also leads to more minutes with Iguodala, who's awesome defensively. And so there are ways to fix this. It's just that they haven't really employed them yet because it's too early to make big changes and potentially alienate dudes. What do you make of the fact that 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 their their passes per game are like way down. I know Anthony Slater asked Steve Kerr about that former Oklahoman, 
Anthony Slater asked uh, asked Steve Kerr about that, and Kerr basically said, eh, "You know, it's early. We're we're you know we're we're integrating some new stuff into the offense, and and we're figuring it out, and it's small sample size, and all all those things are true and legitimate. And um, you know, I actually think passes per game is a really overrated stat in terms of trying to use it to figure out what's indicative of good offense. Like the Thunder were dead last in passes per game last year, and they were second in offensive efficiency. It's it's not a great indicator um, of, of necessarily good offense, but it is a decent indicator, at least of style. Um, and, and, it, and when you're down, I forget what the exact number is, but they're down a lot in passes per game. Uh, at least there's a change of style, not necessarily effectiveness, but at least style over that small sample size. So why do you think that's happened? They've done a little bit more iso ball than before, which is which is a meaningful change. And there hasn't been as much implementation of like kind of those more weavy sets. And so like if you think about the way that a weave works, usually you have like a whole bunch of different passes in those sequences. They did a lot of that with Andrew Bogut because he was very good at it. And Pachulia can can fill that role if you want him to, but you don't really have to do that. You do things differently. But as you said, the the more important measure is the quality of shots that you're generating. And one of the massive changes that happened between the Pelicans game, which was a, a struggle, a slog that they ended up winning, and the Suns game was that in the Suns game, they still missed a ton of shots, but they were good shots. And that was kind of the early indicator that things were starting to get better. Clay Thompson still has made, I think it's 10.7% of his threes this year. So you still have that kind of an issue, but they're good looks. And so I'm not as concerned about the pass thing as much as I criticize Mark Jackson for having it low because it hasn't seemed like the offense has lacked flow. You know, if, if that's, it can be an indicator of something else, but as you said, greater context is important. So I think they're doing a little bit more in the ISO range. Durant, as you know, you know, he can get very comfortable in that when he, when he gets a mismatch, you know, generally speaking, the shot's going to go up and that's a good thing. You know, you want that shot going up because he's a great isolation player, great post player, however you want to split that, split that atom, you can. And that leads to something different. And also they aren't running as much, like, even though the Warriors ran very little pick and roll last year, actually, it's a little bit overrated. They were, I think they were in the bottom third of the league, maybe even deeper than that in number of pick and rolls. But when you think about a Curry Draymond one, which was the centerpiece of when they actually did that, that generally involved at least two or three passes because it would be Curry to Draymond, Draymond to somebody else, and maybe, maybe another one. And now they're not doing that as much. And so they don't have as many of these like, you know, spillover possession kind of things like that, that can really boost up your average. You know what people need to do? People need to Stop using the term. I, I know you didn't just do this, but but you you triggered me on one of my pet peeves, which is adjacent to what you just said. People need to stop using the word isolation player, like it's and and stop hearing it and thinking it's an insult uh, in any context. It can but, be in some, but not in all. No, but like when people talk about Kevin Durant is an isolation player, at least historically, Kevin Durant is an isolation player. Kevin Durant is an isolation player. That's not a bad thing. Kevin Durant is the best isolation player in the NBA. And if he's not, it's because his teammate is. I mean, Kevin Durant is is maybe the best offensive player in the entire league. Um, and part of it is because he is such a great isolation player. He can still be unbelievably efficient with the ball in his hands and him going one-on-one on another guy. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's a great trait. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, push back about- on the, I'll push back on that a little bit with this as being the fundamental idea is that 
overall, and this is not to say it's it's all situations or anything of that, generally speaking, isolation plays have a lower expected value than other forms of offense. And I think that's the reason why people get bothered. Also, it's unimaginative. And so, you know, running a pick and roll has a higher chance of producing something successful. That doesn't mean that it will all the time or that it's the right decision for every team. And it's also one of those things that if, like, like so many, that it, it frustrates people and so they take the basic path. But you are very right that taking the basic path is not necessary considering we have the information, whether it be from your own experience watching these teams or statistically now with the NBA making some of the sport view data available, that you can go through this. And also being a good isolation player is an incredibly valuable thing for a team because you can use that. And that's something that the Warriors have have finally, they've, they've really gotten around to partially after Durant carried them through the Suns game with using that as a failsafe. And that's really where isolation play has its best value is like if at five seconds left in the clock, nothing else worked, having a guy who can just get a bucket is awesome. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, Danny, with what, you know, you talk about, yes, that is certainly true that your average pick and roll play, uh, your average, you know, fill in the blank play, transition play, whatever it is, has a higher expected value in points than, than an isolation play. Of course, that's true. But again, that's a little devoid of context too. I don't. Statistics are not necessarily specific to the individual. Um, you know, there are, there are certain people. You know, for example, a a sixteen foot turnaround shot off the dribble is not a good shot. But if Chris Paul takes that shot from the nail off the dribble and he's relatively open, like that's a good shot because Chris Paul makes that shot. Chris Paul had a season where he made that shot like what, like fifty six percent of the time two years ago, which is just crazy well there's this there's this really interesting idea uh ian levy has talked about it a little bit about the value in players who exceed their expected points per shot so basically the guys who are good in areas that you wouldn't expect are very valuable because somebody is going to eventually take those shots lamarcus aldridge is another example of this where or dirk dirk is actually probably the best example of this in the modern nba where he can take shots that are bad for most people but he does them more and does them better and so so what that means is that when the offense kind of gets into that, that you you raise your expected value higher than than most people. Steph Curry's another guy who kind of does this, though he does it just by shooting shots nobody else takes because it's crazy. But there is an intense value to that if you can pull it off. And that's basically Miami Chris Bosh also. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what Chris Bosh is. And, and, and also, like, a lot of defenses will try just out of habit, especially in the regular season when, you know, maybe you're on a back-to-back, maybe you only have one day in a best-case scenario to game plan, and and you're not going to change around habits and strategies because teams are – the defenses get into these strategies and they get into these habits, and what's more important is kind of winning – winning the war, not necessarily the battle. You don't want guys breaking habits and then kind of ruining their routines and and ruining what they're trying to build for throughout a regular season, ruining that cohesion. So they kind of just stick with their principles, uh, which is a little different than what you see in a playoff series. And a lot of teams' principles is, you know, push a guy into mid-range or push a guy into isolation. And and yes, it's a little bit harder in the postseason. There's no question about that because they game plan very specifically for you over a four, five, six, seven-game series. Uh, but during the regular season, for example, teams push Chris Paul into the mid-range jumper because it's part of their defensive principles. And then Chris Paul's just like, okay, let me take that. Or they push guys into isolation because it's what they want. And then Kevin Durant's able to take advantage or whatever it is. So there are certain ways where you kind of find these these market inefficiencies within the market inefficiency, you know? Yeah. And um, it's it's you have a player like Durant as an isolation player. I just 
I don't think that's an insult at all. Or at least it shouldn't be. No, it isn't. And that's also why you see some teams, especially if it's a really big change of pace or they have unusual strengths or weaknesses, that are much better regular season teams than playoff teams. Denver Nuggets are often this because it's such a weird thing to travel to the high altitude that they get this advantage because it's always an adjustment. And another easy one to use is the Atlanta Hawks. You know, the Atlanta Hawks, generally, they've done a lot through their scheme. They don't have, as great as Paul Millsap is, and we both love him, he's not, you know, that guy when you're when you're making him the focal point of your defensive attention he generally if they have the right personnel he's not going to dominate in that way and so those teams generally suffer more in the playoffs and then those who have individuals that can either withstand that or just have a system that is harder to defend can can survive it and that's something Oklahoma City has done in the past and something the Warriors have done the last few years don't speak for me on Paul Millsap are you I, gonna, are you going to tell Paul Millsap's playoff success no I actually think Paul Millsap's amazing he is. I love yeah. Paul Millsap. He's the most underrated player. He's a three-time All-Star, and he's still the most underrated player in the NBA, possibly. Yeah, he's in that conversation. It, it all, I always get have trouble with the underrated thing because there are so many of us that like know each other now and are kind of in echo chamber thanks to Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know who's underrated or overrated anymore. I don't even necessarily know who the like most popular voices in our medium necessarily do because I they're in my world sometimes they get drowned out by other people. Well, I don't think any casual fan has any idea how good he is defensively. That's true. I, I don't think anyone – I think they think of him as like, a oh, he's a good player. He rebounds and, and he can shoot the three a little bit and he can score and he can take it off the dribble. And I don't think anybody knows he's like one of the best defensive players in the NBA. I think Rubio's the same way. You know, like people don't – people think, oh, yeah, he's a good passer. Oh, he can't shoot. But Rubio's for his position is a great defender and nobody knows it. Yeah, that's true. He, he is he's, – he's like a top five defending point guard for sure. Uh, you want to hear? You want to hear? You want to hear an insane stat? Is it based on how how the the Clippers' offensive ratings for tonight's game? <laughs> it's not, but it is about the Clippers' Thunder game. Sure. Russell Westbrook had a fifty four point two percent usage rate and a fifty percent assist rate, and I realize those numbers don't have to add up to a hundred. It's because usage rate is the percentage of possessions with Russell Westbrook on the floor that end with the ball in his hands. So end with a Russell Westbrook shot, him getting fouled, or him turning it over. And assist is assist percentage is the percentage of buckets that they score while he's on the floor that he assists. So he assisted on half of the baskets that they scored while he was on the floor, but. <laughs> those two numbers adding up to 100 like more than 100 even though like it's it's obviously mathematically possible there the denominator is two different things but it is still so ridiculous to me yeah he's he's kind of at least so far as having this season we all hope that he would and that you know getting that real showcase to be the high usage guy and in in many ways jeremy grant being added to this team kind of confirms that idea because grant has other gifts but he's not going to be creating or taking a whole lot of shots so and, and the ones he does will be assisted by other dudes so it's great to see russ do that and especially when they're winning games i mean they're the undefeated team in in the we could call it the clash of titans i guess that that's going to go on at oracle and you know that's notable for its own way but the fact that they're doing it within their own identity and in a game where they they won against on the road against a very very good team and westbrook was the only player on the entire thunder team to score in double digits grant played well tonight he did he played a good game like he played legitimately well you know it was funny watching him because he uh he he clearly had no idea what he was doing, where to be, like what to do. And like, of course, 
Nobody would. He literally has not even had a practice with them. He had a walkthrough at shoot-around this morning. He flew into Oklahoma City. He had a walkthrough at shoot-around this morning. He, like, doesn't know anything. He hasn't had a practice. He's not going to have a practice tomorrow. He's going to have film in the morning, and that's it. They do, like, 20, 30 minutes of film in the morning, and that's it. Uh, and maybe they'll probably – maybe they'll have a walkthrough before the game or something like that. Maybe they will just for – I'm sure they're going to give him special attention. But, like, he's not going to have a practice with the team, and they're going to be playing the Warriors. He had no idea where to go, but he still played well. He has pretty good muscle memory and experience dealing with a team that has zero personal continuity, considering <laughs> he's played on the Sixers the last two years, which just cycled guys out mm-hmm. like like they were playing on like a roulette wheel and just switching out the numbers. It was it was funny because sometimes it, it, it shows you like how good, like not not like how good Jeremy Grant is, just just how good NBA players are. Because so there was there was a play in the game where where Joffrey Laverne was in at the elbow and had the ball and Jeremy Grant was kind of in the corner and clearly he was supposed to cut. He was clearly supposed to baseline cut. His guy was asleep. He was supposed to baseline cut. And Laverne was even about to just in the rhythm of the offense, throw him a bounce pass uh, to to He was supposed to be cutting baseline. And as he's about to release it, he kind of stops and Grant was turning the corner and coming around for a dribble handoff in the exact opposite direction. And Laverne was just like, oh, and just kind of hands it to him like behind his back. And Grant just went one dribble to the hoop for a layup. And he still got the layup. And I was like, over DeAndre Jordan too. And I was like, NBA players, Jeremy Grant could not have made more the wrong player. And again, this is not like him not, this is like, this is nobody can do this. Like these guys have gone through training camp together. They played three games together. They've gone through offense. Jeremy Grant hasn't gone through any of this. This is no knock on Jeremy Grant. Nobody could know this, like unless you're telepathic. It's just amazing how sometimes I'm amazed by how good NBA players are that he can just kind of walk in and still end up finishing layups over DeAndre Jordan having no idea deal what he's doing on the court. Mark Jackson used to talk about that all the time and about the idea that, you know, good players can play. You can just throw them on the court. And as much as it irked me at moments, just because there is a lot of coaching and development that can really help. There is a a truth at the core of that, that these guys can really figure it out. And, you know, the Warriors have gone through that at various moments. You also see this just with the guys now having the experience on like the AAU circuit and just going through all the stuff like the youth tournaments and everything like that, where they're just playing with random guys. You know, they develop some continuity and some friendships, but they get into that and they're not running a whole lot in terms of plays then, but you do get used to, okay, what do I do in this circumstance? But that does tie in to a degree with, with the Warriors and the idea of how long it's going to take for this team to, to gel and to figure things out. And what has been a, a, a kind of an, a point of this season so far is that there's this early threshold that you can reach just by having a lot of talent. And so the idea basically being that you can you can carry yourself through, you can do well enough, and that's part of the reason why I thought they were going to win a lot of games this year, even if they didn't figure it out early. But there is another level of understanding, which they are clearly not at all the way, which is, you know, trying to get guys the ball in the right spot and just like, okay, you know, if I pass the ball to X player at this point, he's going to shoot the ball and he shouldn't shoot the ball, or I'm going to do that, that sort of thing. And that comes with time. I, I've said like two to three months is probably right around where that's going to come in. And so you you start out in that kind of Mark Jackson, Jeremy Grant land of just figuring out everything, figuring out everything at that stage. And then eventually you, you reach another level where you can do more of the right decisions innately than you could before. I just did. I know you referenced this like five minutes ago, but I just did look at the Clippers starters offensive ratings. 
and uh, they were not impressive. Well, yeah, when you, when it looks like you're going to score when when they're on pace to score seventy points for per hundred possessions, especially considering two years ago the Clippers had the number one offense in the league with basically the exact same guys, and three years ago, yeah. Back last, to back. Last year, last year I think they were third or fourth or something. But they were six. There were six. But last. they were dealing with a bunch of injuries. Oh yeah, I forgot. You're still you're still a Clipper Clipper aficionado. With no, I'm I'm actually not a Clipper aficionado. Like I, I I I say I grew up a Clippers fan, but I'm really not. Like I, you lose it when you cover the league. I lost it like. I'd say I lost it like a year and a half. But what I'm saying is you still pay more attention to them in that way. I'm not talking about rooting interest. I'm talking about just that they pique your interest more than maybe some people. Yeah, I think I think they're an interesting team. Like I just for as a basketball fan, like I I love watching them play because I think they're really I love watching Blake Griffin. And and DeAndre Jordan is my favorite. I don't think you loved watching Blake Griffin tonight. No, he was not good tonight. Uh which was surprising to me because I thought he was I thought this was a really good matchup for him. Um, DeAndre Jordan is also, I don't think DeAndre Jordan is the best dunker of all time. I think Vince Carter is the best dunker of all time, but DeAndre Jordan is my favorite dunker of all time. He's very impressive. Like he's impressive in a very, what I love about great dunking, in-game dunking in the NBA is that there are so many different ways to be impressive. So like you can have the smaller guys where it's like, oh wow, I didn't think they could get up. And then there are guys like Blake that's just, was at his best was just a totally different thing because of also the fearlessness. But with DeAndre it's versatility in terms of catch radius like just the the sheer range by which the ball can go there and just that it can it can come from like anywhere because the Chris Paul yeah. is just a magician and so you so can, is Blake Blake's amazing yeah, Blake's a good passer too so you so you can get those moments not Austin Rivers as much but you can get you can get those moments where it's like oh you know they're just dribbling the ball around and then all of a sudden it's a dunk and now here's the thing with Austin Rivers though the best alley-oops like the most fun dunks, like the most fun finishes on alley oops, don't come from good lobs. Oh, so you're it, talking about the Matthew Delvadova corollary? <laughs> Is that what we're calling it? I, I think they you don't have to from- because Delvadova had this hilarious thing, and I, I like Delvadova. I've liked him for a long time. Went to college near where I live in St. Mary's, and I actually advocated on the radio for the Warriors to sign him after he went undrafted. But his lobs are incredibly weird. And there were times watching the we're watching the Cavs last year where I was legitimately unsure if he was shooting the ball or lobbing it to Tristan Thompson. And that question amused me to no end. <laughs> He's good though. He's a good player. Absolutely. He gets, he gets he gets either too much crap or too much praise. It really can't. It can't be one of the. Uh, can't be anywhere other than that. And a lot of that gets into the idea of defense and grit and some other things that we don't need to talk about. But you know, he is one of those guys that that you, there is really no middle ground. Russ is one of those to a degree as well. Like I mean, the Russ defenders you have the Russ defenders have their stuff. The Russ detractors, and sometimes both sides are unfair. But that's kind of the fun thing. You know, it's it's more fun when it's somebody like that than when there's a little bit more universal agreement. So Doc tonight said that he thinks Russ can average a triple-double. He was obviously very complimentary of Russ. I wonder how much of that was him, like, really believing Russ can average a triple-double, and how much of it was him thinking, I'm just not giving him any sort of bulletin board material. I think it's both. Do you want me to explain why he won't? Yes, please do. 
The the reason is something basic, and for Oklahoma City Thunder fans who are on this, I I love Russell Westbrook. I've known him for a while, but I just like watching him play. I've liked watching him play since he was a freshman in college. But the problem with averaging a triple-double is that you need the high-variance games to balance out the low-variance games. And the problem with that, especially in terms of rebounding, is you can't just get pick-up 11s and 12s. You need some 14s, 15s, 16s there to balance the nights like tonight where Russ had six rebounds. You know, you're going to have those either through playing time or something else. And he's just not going to get those kind of opportunities, especially at the point guard spot. As great as he is as a rebounder for that position, you don't do that. And that's the difference between rebounding and assisting for a guard. You know, like you don't, you can see sometimes a point guard can get a 16, 17 assist game, but you, it's very hard to do that in that rebounding capacity. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, especially Especially with with the Thunder, I, I, the Thunder. You know what the most impressive part of their game was tonight? Uh, how they were still able, and and this is something which I think goes to the coaching staff as well. Um, as Stephen Adams would say, kudos to the coaching staff. Something they did that was impressive tonight. Their transition defense tonight was really good, and they have a roster in terms of their roster building. They're all in on offensive rebounding. They're more in on offensive rebounding than any other roster in the entire league. When you got Canner. You got Adams, you got Laverne's a good one. They they had Ilyasova, but even like Andre Robertson was third or fourth in offensive rebound rate among wings last year. Uh, Russell Westbrook obviously is one of those guys, and they did a great job. Like it's really hard to balance the concepts of offensive rebounding and good transition defense. It's really hard to be like you can be competent in both those things if you weigh them well, but it's really hard to do them both like in a really high level consistently throughout the year. And the Thunder, I don't know if they're going to do them consistently throughout the year. I think they're going to have some transition defense problems, and they had that against Phoenix, I thought, for sure. Uh, but tonight, they got some they got some offensive rebounds. They had their perimeter guys getting back. They had their guys from the corners getting back. Um, and they were, they were able to defend really, really well, match up really quickly, set their defense relatively often against a team that's really good in transition, and still get the occasional offensive rebound at a pretty decent rate. And I thought that was maybe their most impressive balance of the entire night against the Clippers. People often think of it as, as kind of like a, a catch-22 or actually more accurately, like they're mutually exclusive. And so you, you're picking one at the expense of the other. And the best players and the best teams minimize that uh, that kind of duality, you know, the idea that you can go after both. And the most obvious way to do that is to rely on a single offensive rebounder because if you have four guys back, you're fine. And that's what Detroit does. Like Detroit is one of the best transition defense teams in the league, but that's because they have one guy on the offensive rebound on the, on the offensive glass, and he's just better than anybody else at that. But what Oklahoma City deserves a lot of credit for is that generally they do it with two. And so that puts a lot more strain on the three guys that are back. But, you know, generally speaking, they play that second crasher has enough athleticism that unless the other team really pushes it hard, they're not going to get that advantage for very long. And so that that's how they can do it, because one of the advantages of drafting and trading for so many athletes is that you can treat that differently than another squad, because if it's Russell Westbrook, he's going to get back like a madman if he doesn't get the rebound. Yeah, it's uh, it, and that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow with the Thunder all year, honestly, the transition defense. I think there are going to be some nights where where it does them in. I think they could struggle. And, and there are going to be some nights where, I mean, I, I didn't know that they could play transition this quickly. Uh, this was very clearly their best defensive performance, and not just in transition, too. Like, Andre Robertson had an incredible defensive game tonight. Uh, he was he was awesome. Victor Oladipo had easily, 
easily his best defensive game. There was no question about that. He defended J.J. Redick really well. And J.J. Redick's off to a slow start. Like, J.J. Redick airballed an open 18-footer tonight. It's like, what? J.J. Redick doesn't do that. J.J. Redick's one of the absolute best shooters in the entire league. Uh, and he's gotten off to, a, like, a weird, like a bizarro start because um, he's he's a re- just a really good player. Um what, one but, thing, one thing on that note, I want to mention uh, is that the NBA has not incorporated the sport view stats from Thunder Clippers yet, and Oklahoma City was already the number four team in the league in transition defense in terms of points per possession. Yeah, that, I, I don't like that stat though. Yeah, um, here's Especially, here's there, why. There are a couple of reasons why. Here's my main reason. There are a few reasons why. Uh, I, I, even even ignoring the fact that they don't really classify things well on that um they they often misclassify you know transition and 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 you know whatever it is um like the post touches the definition of a post touch is weird if you can't dribble into a post touch it's only a catch within 12 feet so like none of russell westbrook's actual post is posts count they all count as isolation so that play data is a little bit a little bit noisy to me and 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 specifically like a lot of teams like phoenix for example wasn't running transition to score in transition they were running transition so they could get mismatches and then they were scoring in the secondary break and they were scoring later in the shot clock after trying to exploit mismatches and but that was led because the thunder didn't get back in time in transition but that was you know a pick and roll score or a post-up score or an isolation score and not transition score even though it was because of their transition defense so those those kind of stats can can mislead sometimes. I'm not always into them. I, I agree with you. And however, in in the case of the Warriors, it does reflect it because their transition D has been pretty awful. So yeah, I mean, look, here's what they're good for. They're they're good for looking into. And, and Billy Donovan says this a lot. I think he's he says it really intelligently. Um, they're they're great to look at to ask a question, and then you need to find out what the answer to that question is. So you don't look at it to find a conclusion. You look at it to ask the question, okay, why are they fourth? And then you watch and you watch for why they're fourth and you find out why they're good at certain things and why maybe it's misleading that you're fourth and you go through it and you see, you know, certain things they did well tonight, getting back, matching up well, uh, kind of thwarting the Clippers to get there, um, to, you know, get to the basket quickly, uh, picking up Chris Paul really quickly, Andre Robertson finding JJ Redick or, or Oladipo finding JJ Redick really well in transition, like, they were only he was really trying to get open for three in transition. They were finding him really quickly, uh, you know, picking up Blake and DJ and that kind of stuff, which they all did really well tonight. And then there are the other issues too. So you kind of have to look in, you have to ask the question, okay, why is this? And then you have to go back and find it. But it's good for asking questions which maybe you wouldn't find otherwise. Because every once in a while you find stuff and you're like, Oh, why are they that high? And then you look into it, it's like, oh, I guess they are doing this pretty well or pretty poorly or whatever it is. Yeah, another analogy for that that I, th- I think is good is when people will talk about the kind of like the stat darlings at small schools, and it's not necessarily saying, oh, that player is good. It's saying, oh, you should look at their film. And yeah. so Jeremy Lin was one of the prototypical examples of that. Like there were, he was a darling of a lot of the advanced stat models, and that doesn't mean he's going to be a great NBA player. It just means maybe there's something there that's worth looking at. Right, for sure. So what's... Well, yeah, I was going to ask you, what are you, you looking forward, say so what? What, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? I was literally going to ask you the exact same question. <laughs> we talked too much. That's really the, that's really the only answer to what just happened. We didn't outline any of this podcast. <laughs> so, so uh, what are you looking forward to tomorrow? Uh, you know, what I'm looking forward to the most. I haven't 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 like good fish. I had sugar fish today. 
I'm not even. I'm, I'm not even talking about basketball. I I had sugar fish today. Holy crap! That sushi was amazing. Hopefully, they can be a sponsor of a very limited value sponsor of Locked On Thunder. That would be really fun. Danny, Danny, do you know what's opening on Saturday in Oklahoma City? Is it actually happening? It is actually happening. The, the, pla- was- the place where we ate, I think, four times during summer league, even though we were only there together for like two days. <laughs> Correct. I was I was listening to the radio the other day and I heard the grand opening of Capriati's and I got so pumped. Uh, I think it's like free Bobby's for the first hundred people there. I get back on Friday. It opens Saturday morning, ten a.m. I might I might go. Yeah, I might. Go I, I feel like I feel like you kind of should. Uh, I know, but but so I'll I'll actually talk about basketball because I'm a boring person and want to. <laughs> but one of the things that I'm most excited for is Andre Robertson guarding Kevin Durant. It's yeah. something we've never seen before. It's something that could be you know Robertson is an underrated defender. He's someone that that has strength in a way that could work, and that he you know you're not going to give him any help responsibilities if that's the assignment. So I'm very excited to see that. See how the Thunder if they can take advantage of the Warriors' typically shaky kind of new center rotation, and also whether the Warriors go small much against the team they could potentially face in the playoffs. Like, I think that, generally speaking, you see teams, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but you see teams go vanilla early in the season, partially because they want to and partially just because it's a good idea. And so will they pull any tricks out of their bag because they have them. They did it a fair amount against the Blazers. They did it a little bit against the Suns because Oklahoma City is a team that you force into some tough choices that way. And that's something we saw in the playoffs here. You know what? I, I, I'm curious to see. I mean, I think Robertson's a good one. I, in all seriousness, for we've been saying we want to talk about basketball, so I'll give a basketball answer. I'm I'm really interested to see. I mean, everyone talks about how Russ is going to get so up and how, you know, the first time that Durant gets switched onto him, he's not going to pass the ball and, and, and you know, he's going to try to dunk on everybody or he's going to go for, you know, he's going to go for 100 or whatever it is. Like, I'm kind of excited to see how the role players get up for the game. Um, because Andre Robertson and Steven Adams specifically, like, because Lee, Lee Jenkins made this point on um on Zach Lowe's podcast when he was on it last week. And I thought it was a good one. Like I, I want to see if Andre Robertson and Steven Adams because they're 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 given the company line the whole time. You know, it's just another game. You can't get up for it. And I understand why they say that. And I understand that athletes do have to take that mentality because you you don't want to get yourself out of that zone. You you want to have a singular approach for every single game. I, I understand why that's advantageous for athletes and they have to say it in order to believe it. And they, they don't want any controversy or anything like that. So they, so they say those things. So I get it. I don't believe them. I really don't believe them when they say it. And Steven Adams for, for the reputation that he has of being kind of an enforcer, he's not an emotive person at all. And he's not emotive on the court. And Andre Robertson is the same way. He's just this kind of stoic figure on the court in terms of his showing personality and that kind of stuff. He really never reacts to anything. And neither does Adams. And I wonder if they're going to be a little bit more outgoing on the court tomorrow. And if they are, I think that's kind of their way of saying that they got up for this game a little bit more than they do for their average regular season game, even though they would never tell us that. 
Yeah, I think that's a, a definitely a fair thing to look into it. And, you know, the, the Thunder have been trying some different stuff at the four and how that works against the Warriors, who often play Draymond Green there, who is a challenge for a lot. Right, well, guys. Sabonis guarding Draymond Green off the bat, is that's tough for him. I mean, he had this is, this is a tough two-game stretch for him. He did okay against Blake Griffin tonight. And, I mean, they used Collison for the first time this year just to, to help on Blake Griffin because – yeah, they they don't have Laverne did no a, a really good job on him in the post, but Laverne is he's an okay post defender because he's big and he's strong and he he's happy to get physical and that kind of stuff. Uh, but you know when when you know you get Blake in the pick and roll and Blake starts dishing the guys in the corner, that's just that's tough for him. Um, and it, it was tough for Sabonis too. He's going to uh, be defending in space a lot. Draymond is not going to be posting him up. No, I know that. That's what I'm saying. Like this is an even tougher matchup for. For Sabonis, like this is going to be tough. It's going to be tough for Laverne. It's obviously tough for Cantor, as we saw in the Western Conference Finals last year. Um, like this is this is a tough matchup for the Thunder's fours. I mean, this is honestly this is a game where maybe we just see Jeremy Grant as a four more than a three, and then the Warriors just back off him by twenty feet if he's at the three point line. Yeah, I mean maybe, but you got to pick your battles. The Thunder have a lot of specialists, man. They have. They have a lot of either all offense or all defense guys. And like, yeah, maybe they don't guard him and or, and or they don't guard Robertson. And, and, and I realize that you put those guys in the game together at the same time. And that's, that's, that's not ideal spacing on offense, especially if, you know, Russ and Oladipo are, are, you know, not the greatest three point shooters in the entire world. And Adams doesn't step out, but like, that's a lineup that can switch on everything. Um, which is something that you kind of want to do against the Warriors, and you can you can switch your 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 guy, you can switch everything on that lineup, and and maybe it's I'm not saying you play it for 15 or 18 minutes, but maybe you try it, you see how it is. Like this is even if this is built up as a big game, it's still an experimental early season game. You just got Grant, see what you have. Yep, and it ties in with something that is surprising that teams don't do more often against the Warriors, which is running off everything. You know, like people say, oh, you don't want to run with the Warriors, but I've been making this point for two years now. It's just that the Warriors are significantly worse in transition defense than they are in half court. And even even this year when their half court defense has, has looked a little less stout than in prior years, it's still true. And for the most part, offenses get far better looks that way. And so, you know, if you do that, just, just push it and also tire them out because the Warriors are, you know, for, for better or for worse, they're kind of a top heavy team. And so if you make those guys work a little bit harder, maybe you'll maybe you'll get them to play fewer minutes and rely a little bit more on a shakier bench. Well, let me ask you a trivia question. It is uh, all the games are done for the evening. Which team do you think is first in the NBA in pace right now? I do not know. Give me a guess. Give me the con think of think of what podcast we're doing and give me a guess. Well, it's, it's it's not the Warriors for sure, so I'll guess the, the War- Thunder. And and who do you think you're correct? And who do you think is number two? Houston. The Warriors. Oh, really? I, I thought they were a little bit further down. Oh, the the Rocket the the Blazers game kicked up their pace. That's right because they that game was kind of a a little bit of a weird one. This is number one versus number two. This is the thing is the Thunder are going to turn it into a running game, but they're not going to do it because it's their strategy against the Warriors. It's because they've been playing at a crazy pace all season, and and part of it is because I mean part of it is because. They have a lot of guys on defense who are aggressive in passing lanes and they want to get out running with live ball turnovers and steals and all that stuff. Uh, part of it is also because, like we said, they don't have a lot of shooting. But if you play that lineup that I was talking about, like that, that one and other ones where you can switch and you can you can force turnovers and that kind of stuff, if you do get out running, then 
you kind of negate in some ways on those transition possessions that you don't have shooting because you can just get to the basket real quickly and try to get a layup. You don't worry about you don't worry about spacing because in transition, the floor is already spaced. That's why what the Warriors do when they went to three point line is so difficult because you're spacing what is already spaced and it's like doubled spaced. Um, and and so they're going to run, but they're not going to run because it's the way to beat the Warriors. They're going to run because it's just in their DNA. Certainly fair. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to kind of see how all that shakes out. I'm I'm excited for the I I'm excited for the environment. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. Uh, not going to be as crazy as that baseball game. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it, it is going to be different in, than the baseball game because that baseball game was like I think it was like a sixty forty crowd because there were just a lot of Chicago people, so sixty Cleveland forty. And tomorrow's crowd is going to be let's say like ninety five five. I think I think that Clippers crowd was like sixty forty Thunder. It's an LA game on a on a Wednesday. That's sort of I thing. know. It's just like amazing to me that the Clippers still do so poorly in that arena. Well, it's it's crazy to me that when I talk to my LA friends, they still say that it's still to many of them, it's still a Lakers town. And yeah. Oh, it's of course. There's no question. It's a Lakers. It, it's. Yeah. I mean, granted, they, they they did win tonight, I believe. Um, but it's just it's just crazy considering the Clippers have given them so many reasons to love them, and the Lakers have given them so few. But we know that love isn't always fair. Love is blind, and that's really what's still happening in LA, in LA sports. Yeah, I mean, think about it though. Like they they moved to LA during the magic like during the magic johnson lakers um and then were so bad so like it, they, were, it's the, they were deliberately bad as well which is a very different thing than just being bad is like the idea of basically like saving money thinking that you're going to take advantage of the revenue sharing and all that kind of stuff like that's a really hard team to be a fan yeah and like it's the equivalent i was talking about this with you're friends with Yovan, right a little bit yeah yeah so Yovan Buhau is with espn now and is i guess a mutual friend of ours um and I was talking about this with Yovan today. Like it's it's the equivalent. The the Clippers just randomly moving to Los Angeles in the mid eighties is is the equivalent of a team basically moving to like San Antonio right now and then becoming the worst franchise in all of sports. Why in the world would anybody jump from being it's a different market, obviously, but why in the world would anybody jump from being a Spurs fan? to being a fan of the worst team in all sports just because they moved there and the Spurs are still there and they're still incredible all the time. Because it's a better product and LA is a city of transplants, so there are a lot of people who don't have a rooting interest and could just... But it only became it only became a better product like five years ago. That's not long. If there's a, a hot movie or a hot club in LA, it doesn't take them five years to go, oh, we should go there instead of the, the other place. Oh, people are way more loyal to their teams than their clubs. Are you kidding me? It's passed down for generations. I'm not going to but the what, what I'm saying is, What I'm saying is that's true of the, av- of the average fan, but it's something different with there, – there's a big collection of people in LA who aren't Lakers. Yeah, but and the those Lakers... people haven't jumped on board either, even with the ownership change, which I understand was, this, was another big stumbling block, not only because the team was bad, but because – Donald Sterling was Donald Sterling, even if he wasn't, out, even if he wasn't ousted for a while, people knew various things about him. Of course. And like, this is not like reporting people know. Like, yeah, I knew this stuff when I was, you know, 13 years old. Like I, I knew it when I, when I went to college down there. Yeah. No, I mean, everyone, everyone knew that stuff. And now, I mean, there, there are a gazillion Donald Sterling stories. I mean, what's amazing about Donald Sterling is the Magic Johnson comments were not close to the worst thing he's ever done. Nope. Not even close. That guy is so awful. Um, all right. We couldn't be more off topic now. And I've got to finish all of my work before I leave for Oakland in the morning. Um, you want to you wanna wrap this up? You want to 
Anything anything to plug before we go? I have an infinite number of things to plug, but the more fun thing is to ask you a basic question. Yes. Do you have a feeling on who wins this game and how much they win it by? You know what? I, I'm not trying to be politically correct. I have no idea. I, I mean, look, it's the Warriors at home. So, like, the Warriors at home are probably going to win. But, like... I don't know. Like I thought, I thought the Thunder weren't going to win against the Clippers. I kind of thought like th- that the Clippers were were kind of the worst team for the Thunder to play because they're really talented. They've had the same guys together forever, and the Thunder were very clearly integrating in new pieces and getting used to each other for the first three games. And I kind of figured this is the worst team for them to play. The Clippers are going to be so cohesive. They know they've known each other for years. They know exactly what they do. They do the same stuff and. uh and, and I thought that they would just kind of tear that apart. And and the opposite happened. I mean, the Clippers have integrated some new stuff into their offense. Um, you know, some some new, like, triangle-y sets. Um, and, and, and that, you know, is taking some time. But, like, I I thought that they would kind of run run them, run them over to some degree. And Thunder played a, a really, really, like, by far their best defensive game of the four games they played this year. Not even not even close. They played a really good defensive game. The Clippers didn't play well either, but they played a really good defensive game. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm retired from the prediction game, but uh, you know, who knows? I'm just excited to watch a good basketball game. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it as well. And I have, I made exactly one prediction this year. It was the Warriors opener and I predicted they win and they'd lose. And this is their second home game. So I'm just going to avoid making a prediction altogether. I was hoping you would. I think at one point, I think at one point I predicted like before the schedule came out, I, I think I randomly said on this podcast that the Thunder will beat the Warriors the first time they played them this year, which is like so, so like radio host talk, like hot takey. Uh, so if I said that, I guess I have to pick them, but I'm, I'm kind of remembering. Okay, okay, can I make a small point? Whenever somebody says something like that, you don't have to stand by that. I don't, I don't understand why people say, oh, well, I picked this team to win the title at the beginning of the season, so I have to stay with that. That's the point of getting new evidence and making a new decision. Well, no, there's no new evidence. I just Here's the thing, that, that statement wasn't even based on evidence. I think I just said it. I, I, think a lot, I think a lot of the people who stand by their opinions because it's what they said the first time weren't basing the first one on evidence either. <laughs> that is a fair point. That's a good way to end this podcast. It certainly is. Thanks again to Fred Katz for taking the time. You can read him at the Norman Transcript, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Fred Katz. That's F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Talented writer, and he's focusing on the thunder also hosting the locked on thunder podcast so you can give that a listen i do not believe that we are going to record together after the game i think we'll kind of record separately so if you want to get a different take on that game you are absolutely free to do that or listen to any and everything that that he does he does really good work i've known him for years and big fan of what he does so you can check that out I am excited for the game, and Portland made me more excited because we saw that the Warriors do have that defensive gear in them. Before, it's just kind of like, oh, it's another game, another test of everything else. And also, the Thunder are playing better than I expected. The win against the Clippers today was an example that they can do more than just you know survive against bad teams, which is what they did in their first couple contests. And so it was an impressive display in that way, and it means that also given light to how well the Warriors played against Portland, that these are two teams that have kind of figured it out a little bit in the last couple of games. And so it is early, so you don't want to read too much into it, but that makes it more intriguing, makes it more exciting, makes it something that we can grab onto a little bit more. And so I'm excited to see how that turns out. If you want to see more from me, though, 
my current writing is is more about that Blazers game. You can check it out at The Athletic. I also have a piece coming out on the James Harden trade, actually going back and kind of making connecting a few of the dots from a CBA perspective. That will be going up at Sporting News. It should be up by the time most of you listen to this. So you can definitely give that a look as well. So if you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, indifferent, at Danny LaRue on Twitter, D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, Danny LaRue MBA at Gmail. Really do appreciate every, every kind of piece of feedback that we get because that the idea is to make the show better and that that's why I ask for it. I wouldn't ask for it if I didn't care because I do not want to waste your time in the podcast and anything else. So that is something that is important to me. And I, I do take, even if I don't incorporate things, I do listen to them and, and I think about it. So appreciation all around for that. And if you want to support the show, you can go to your podcast player, subscribe, download every episode, leave a rating, leave a review, really do appreciate it. And also, even though they didn't advertise on the show, a great way to support us is we did, uh, I did my first read because they're a brand new sponsor of the show for SeatGeek product I really like, download the app and use the promo code LO Warriors. So that's L then O for locked on and then Warriors and you can get $20 off your first order. So you win by getting $20 off and trying out a cool new product. I win because it says that it the, that you came from us, and, and SeatGeek wins because it's another person who uses their product. So it's something that can be a mutually beneficial thing for all sides, and that is exactly what I love doing in this business. So thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99. And our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.